to join us on Facebook. Whatever buff. Join us on Facebook Live as we say hello to James Marsh for Marshy Movie Time. What's going on? Hi, how are you? Fine. Have you finished typing your letters? He's sitting there just going type, type that. Hello, choppy chop. I'm getting all I'm getting all the right information in front of me, but I'm a little I am a little despondent, it must be said. Why? What's happening? Well well because normally at this time of year, I should be oh. calling in from Austin, Texas. And having your love-in with all of your movie mates. Seeing seeing our friend Peter Martin from Dallas. Yep. And, uh, well, yeah. he's not going out the, the, at the moment. The great... <laughs> no, but well, what's happening, I mean, I, I would normally be there with the wonderful film community in Austin, Texas, but obviously, you know, there's a little bug going around, and so... So you're going to have to stay in Saikung and be ostentatious instead. Yes, but they are doing some kind of online version, sort of a celebration of Fantastic Fest, which is kicking off probably in the throngs of opening night, albeit virtually uh, tonight. Yeah. And so there'll be a lot of people doing that, and I know that Peter will be involved in that, so I don't know if he's with us right now, no. but he might, Get he might well Get be. Uh, yeah, for sure. So they're doing something, and hopefully I'm going to be participating uh, via... A similar setup to what we're doing right now yeah. later on in the uh, in the week however the, the the thing that's most frustrating right now is that because they're having to do it online the licensing terms are slightly oh, different to you can't you can't the do films it. and stuff so the yeah. no so the films that they are able to show uh they're only allowed to show two people in the u.s and so uh you know i can't jump on and watch some of the same films that they're watching which is yeah. which is a shame because so they're showing if, some good stuff if you're in the same room of course and there's various talks and stuff i know they could play bits and pieces and say well look look at this and of course the minute they do that online alarm bells go off don't they well this is it i mean with a festival they will get permission you know to show a film at the festival and that's for a room full of people in the u.s absolutely however if you start yeah if you start saying, okay, we're going to do an online event and you can come in from anywhere, the licensing is very, very different because you're suddenly catering to a, a potentially global audience and that's a very different kettle of fish altogether. Yeah. All right, then. Well, I hope you can get to go sometime soon anyway. Well, hopefully by this time next year, yeah, everything will be back to normal because it is very much a sort of social event as well. You know, you go, sure, to watch the films and all the rest of it and to uh, bring films to the audience, but you go to see the people and to hang out. And, you know, there's, uh, there's a great community of people I've got to know and love over the years over there, and it's a real damn shame that I can't be there with them. And I'm sure they are feeling exactly the same way. <laughs> they could always watch you now, though, to see how it should be done. They can. Yeah. They can. And as I as I mentioned, yeah, if if all the ducks align in the next couple of days, uh, I should be participating in a in a sort of post uh, screening Q and A session with one of the filmmakers later in the week, Brilliant. actually early next week. But. Brilliant. All right then. Nice one. What yeah. are we doing? Well, uh, we're going to talk about some movies. Uh, we we have a new uh, Gerard Butler movie greenland yeah there is a south korean political nuclear standoff film okay. steel rain 2 uh then on netflix there is enola holmes oh i, I saw that children's it's another it's a you adaptation know, of children's novel sherlock, sherlock holmes's sister. younger sister uh and there also is uh long way up which is the third in the series of Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman on motorbikes going around the world. Brilliant. Uh, which they did way back when, and they've just done another one, and I've started watching that, and it's 
well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. A uh, bit of bit of news. I think there's a couple of things we need to address. Uh, any excuse to talk James Bond, hmm. I will take. Yeah. Uh, Michael Lonsdale or Michel Lonsdale sadly passed away. Hmm. Fantastic uh, French actor, best known as uh, Hugo Drax from Moonraker, the villain in Moonraker. Yeah. Uh, also in uh, Day of the Jackal, he was the uh, the the French detective on. Uh, on his case and uh also uh name of the rose he's a very prominent uh, part of that and i love that movie yeah so uh he will be sadly missed but i think uh he'd he'd been ill for a while i believe mm -hmm. so that's uh that's sad but he, he was he was old uh however there was a he was he was old it was his time <laughs> i know that came off a little uh callously for... <laughs> move quickly move Move quickly. However, I want to address very quickly, there was a rumour started by uh, a website late last week that was then picked up, I think, by the Daily Express or one of those papers in the UK, yeah. uh, saying that Tom Hardy had apparently already signed on to be the next James Bond and that the re only reason it hadn't been announced yet is so because the new film has been has been delayed and they uh, they don't want to announce it until after the new film comes out, obviously, because... They want the, the film release to be its own thing and then move on with that. Um, so far, there has been no official confirmation of this. I think it's a load of rubbish. And I will tell you why. <laughs> Please uh, do. It, it, just doesn't, it just doesn't fit in with how they have done things in the past. For one thing, uh, Tom Hardy is already 43 years old. So by the time you, he actually gets up and running and produces even one film and it comes out, he'd probably be about 46, 47. And they want to get mileage out of whoever is the new James Bond. They don't want actors who are only going to do one or two. They want someone who's going to do a whole run of films who they can lock into a contract probably for at least a decade. Or James, so. is it so possible that they've got the wrong Tom? The rumour mill? Is there, are there any other... Are you talking... Are you talking Hiddleston? Well, any any Toms that you know. It's this is it could be. Um, I I don't know of any other Toms who are seriously in consideration for it. Um, but my point is, I think he's too old. I think he's okay. too well established. They have never. Sorry, if that was a joke, I didn't get it. Carry on. I'm afraid. Okay. Um, it would be it would be un, sort of unprecedented for the Bond mill to hire somebody as established and dare I say as expensive as Tom Hardy would be mm. uh, you know they've always gone with sort of TV talent or fairly unknown talent in the past and mm -hmm. I think they'll probably continue with that um, so I think they are going to go with somebody younger they'll go with somebody in their early 30s because I think what they will want to do because with the Daniel Craig iteration they're already in the story of the kind of old broken bonds being dragged out of retirement to do one more kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And I think they'll want to kind of reboot essentially with whoever comes in next. And so they, they'll they probably want somebody uh, in their early thirties so they can show bond getting his double O and then moving in that direction. Where do you reckon this rumor came from then? I mean, it's interesting, this stuff. So I've seen it myself. Um, it's interesting. There's got yeah. to be something, hasn't there? I mean, there was, there was, it was a blog, uh, that said that they had heard from somebody. E I mean, either they just made it up off the top of the head for fun. for fun, or it was just an unsubstantiated rumour 
that they that they heard from somebody somewhere. You know, he's definitely in the conversation, but I would be incredibly surprised to see them go with somebody, like I said, so old and so established. Shall we have a little uh, listener comment here whilst we go on? In, a, in one second, all I will just say to Adda is, that said, if it does, <laughs> does turn out to be true, yeah. I would be very happy. Oh, you know, well, I would can't. actually love to see. I would love to see Tom Hardy. Anyway, forget about you. Let's see what one of our listeners thinks, because they know best, of course. Okay. Yeah. Now it's Steve H. He okay. always knows best. He says Tom Hardy is James Bond. He goes, mmm. He was the new Mad Max. Uh, Bond needs to be older, and Hardy would be great. He could go on for twenty years. Remember Sean Connery? Never say never again. Old Bond works. Somebody had to mention Sean, didn't they, James? Yes, although it should be pointed out, Never Say Never Again is not canon. It's not an official Bond movie. Uh, it, it is not to be considered as one of the Eon productions. Uh, it is essentially a remake of Thunderball, made by Kevin McClory, who was a producer on Thunderball and helped uh, conceive of the storyline with Ian Fleming because uh, they, they were going to make it into a film and then Ian Fleming went away and actually turned it into a, bo- into a book. And it has been sort of a legal quagmire ever since that only fairly recently got resolved. So, um, yeah, you can't you can't point to that one. I'm afraid. What Sorry, you can Steve, point you to is the fact. Point to that one. Yes, you can't point to Never Say Never Again and say, "Look at that." What you can point to is Roger Moore, who was actually hired after Sean Connery and is older than Sean Connery. Uh, so it was a kind of a bit of a strange decision at the time, and he did it well into his 70s. But I think they're going to want to avoid anything like that again. I think they're going to look for mileage. They're going to look for somebody they can do long-term. Uh, they're already doing the old Bond thing with Daniel Craig already. I think they're going to want to go young, fresh-faced, sort of new recruit style. All right, I'll tell you what, we've got about three minutes before the news, and that's usually how long you take on Gerard Butler movies, so do you want to do that? <laughs> sure, why not? Okay, so Greenland uh, stars uh, Gerard Butler as a uh, structural engineer called John Garrity. Uh, now, what happens is uh, there is a meteorite coming, or a comet, rather, that is made up of lots of different pieces, and they think that some of these pieces are going to enter Earth's atmosphere and hit the Earth. And so there is a sort of lockdown, and some people get these alerts that they have been selected for um, to be sort of taken to a secure location. And right. his name pops up and he, him and his estranged family are given sort of special, a special pass. Uh, problem is his wife and his son are somewhat estranged. Uh, there's been a, a very rift in their relationship. So he has to show up and uh, convince them to come with them. Hmm. And uh, b- before essentially asteroids hit the planet. Now, this is a film that was originally supposed to be uh, directed by Neil Blomkamp, who did District 9 oh, yeah. uh, and Elysium, oh. and was going to star Chris Evans at one point. And you get the impression that that version of the story, it was the same script, but that version of the story was far more of a sort of a real-world drama. You know, that was going to be sort of looking at how everyday folk would react in the face of meteoric Armageddon. Uh, when that didn't happen and Gerald Butler came on with his uh, Angel Has Fallen director, Rick Roman War, you saw, you can see the the movie pivot into something more of an action movie, something that Gerard Butler fans <laughs> might be more familiar with. And, I, and what you end up with is a film that is very 
sort of disjointed and tonally unbalanced and you're not entirely sure what kind of movie they want to make uh the action sequences uh you know there's a big big scene at an airport where those with uh sort of diplomatic clearance or government clearance are trying to get on board planes and be flown off to these uh remote locations in as the title of the film might suggest greenland um are being, you know, while they're being brought on and other people are trying their luck to try and get on the trains, something happens and one of the planes blows up and there's a big, you know, big explosions at the airport, that kind of scene, stuff. That's done really well. Mm. There's like a car chase later on where literally they're being bombarded with debris from the sky and uh, that all works kind of really well. In the more grounded, dramatic moments between his family, between the haves and the have-nots, those desperate to uh, get a free pass, questioning, you know, why certain people have been chosen over others. That stuff's done less well, shall we say. Pause button there, just for a second, because it is news time. Don't go away. James with us until about quarter to ten to join us on Facebook Live if you can. such lyrics right we got to the bit where gerard butler saves the world or have we not got to that bit yet no okay go on um okay (laughs) so i mean what's strange about green i mean greenland is one of these films that has actually been delayed in the u.s it was supposed to come out i think pretty much everywhere this week or next week or whatever but it's had its release pushed back because of the pandemic but where available it is being released and so we're getting it here more uh, so earlier than than a few other places Mm. um now what's most baffling about this is that all of the film's biggest problems are right there on the page and uh, the assumption is that they were always there and so the fact that it had attracted much bigger talent initially the same script Mm. uh is somewhat surprising i mean the dialogue is pretty ropey throughout uh characters are fairly broadly drawn uh they don't always behave or often behave in a very logical manner uh, and it's merely a case of moving from the next set piece to the next set piece introducing a stock character who has a particular pov or talking points that they need to digest before moving and moving on moving on moving on again um and so, like I said, you end up with something that's incredibly sort of disjointed, doesn't really quite know whether it wants to be an action movie or try to be something a little more, uh, dare I say, cerebral or profound. Uh, and what you end up with is a, is a bit of a mess, a sort of very sort of stop-start pacing is, is really off, and at two hours is way too long. Uh, this is not Gerard Butler saving the world. This is Gerard Butler trying to save his fram- family from a world on the brink of destruction. And so I think people who were fans of something like Geostorm, in which yeah. it was Gerard Butler saving the world, uh, might be somewhat disappointed. It's it's not great. It's a bit of a mess. Uh, and that's and that's a shame. But you can see there there are intentions there to to punch above its weight. And right. you know, right. Let's move on. Uh, let's move on to. Yeah, let's move on to Netflix and Enola Holmes. 
which I literally just finished watching just a few minutes ago. So Ooh. it's still very, very fresh in my mind. Uh, so this is an adaptation of uh, one of Nancy Springer's novels. I believe there are a series of these sort of uh, Enola Holmes novels. They're sort of a YA novel, young adult novel, you could say. Uh, and this, these are about the adventures of Sherlock Holmes's uh, younger sister, Enola, who gets up to very much the same kind of shenanigans in a similar manner. Yep. So we're set in Victorian London. Uh, basically, yes, uh, father has died. Uh, she lives uh, alone. So she lives in this big house where she was brought up by her mother, who taught her all kinds of uh, physical and mental skill sets before vanishing on her 16th birthday. Uh, Mycroft and Sherlock Holmes are both sort of very much absent parts of her upbringing. Uh, however, they return, and when mother has, uh, they have no response about where, where mother is either. Uh, they decide to send Enola off to a finishing school. She's going to have none of that. And so she runs away, runs to London, where her path crosses that of the young Viscount Lord um, Tewkesbury. Uh, and also bubbling in the background is an upcoming uh, vote in the House of Lords, uh, a reform act which is all about the suffragette movement and votes for women. So you have three things going on at the same time. You have Enola's search for her mother. You have the political uh, shenanigans of the of the suffragette movement in the background, and you also have this young Lord Tewkesbury who is kind of on the run for his you know for his life, running for his life, and. Uh, as one familiar with this kind of sort of detective story might already guess, uh, all of these things are going to sort of intersect in some way. Yeah. And uh, so what you've got is you've got Millie Bobby Brown, the 16-year-old star of um, Stranger Things, mm. Holmes, and you have Henry Cavill, a.k.a. Uh, Superman yeah. from Man of Steel. Uh, as Sherlock Holmes and Sam Claflin as Mycroft, and you know there is a and and Helena Bonham Carter as as the mother, the sort of absent mother. So you know Enola is uh, talking to the camera a lot. This is a movie that story that she is telling very much from her point of view in a somewhat anachronistic fashion. Yep. Uh, she's talking to the audience. At times, she even asks the audience to put for their help or for their suggestion. It's not interactive, uh, but, you know, she's just like, well, what do you think? Oh, you know, talking direct to camera. Um, but you know what? what? It actually works. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I was quite surprised. I was like, oh, here we go. Like um, I think this game. is actually not at all. Okay. Not at all. It's got actually quite a delightful sort of sense of time and place. You know, it, it does a great job of, uh, sort of painting a picture of Victorian London. I mean, a somewhat sort of sanitized version of Victorian cool, London, but nevertheless, yeah. uh, you know, London, yeah, <laughs> the, the streets, uh, the cobbled streets of London Painted town and all the rest of it. Uh, there's a, it also does quite a good job of doing a, shall we say, a younger, slightly simplified version of Holmes's trademark sort of uh, methods of deduction. You know, there are lots of clues and visual uh, motifs peppered throughout the film that are obviously all sort of tied together quite neatly by the end. Mm. Um, so it's a nice sort of little introduction to the world and the style of Sherlock Holmes for younger audiences and no doubt for younger readers before, before it. Um, 
So I was quite pleasantly surprised by it, to be honest. It's a two-hour movie, but it rattles along at a decent pace. You know, Netflix often tends to make movies that are a bit too long. But this one felt well-paced and it's entertaining and it's uh, it's amusing, it's humorous. There's a something of a potential love uh, interest with uh, young Lord Tewkesbury, who is well-played. You've got young actors who, particularly in British productions, I find can grate rather rather easily they have this kind of drama school plumminess to them which i find quite infuriating but the young leads here are good i was very surprised to see that millie millie bobby brown all 16 years of her is also credited as a producer on the film now that is actually quite impressive uh for someone at her age to have uh, secured that kind of uh power behind the scenes of the production as well as in front of the screens. Um, I could very easily see this becoming something of a franchise and Netflix making more of these. I'm sure Netflix uh, could also well. see it becoming a franchise. It's one of those, probably. Ooh. I think so, yeah. And I, I, think this, I think it's going to do well. It deserves to do well. You know, everybody, everybody does well. And like I said, I mean, I'm a sucker for a sort of good detective story anyway. Sherlock Holmes obviously is, is the classic there. And I felt it really does capture the essence of what is appealing about the Sherlock Holmes camera and uh, character and his methodology, or, and makes it, it re, sort of repackages it in a di- digestible way for young audiences. In- Enola Holmes, pretty glad she didn't stay at home yesterday. So what are we going to move on to now? Clever. Not really. Clever. Let's do Steel Rain 2. Go on then, bring it Steel on. Steel Rain 2, very quickly, is... Okay, South Korean... Uh, political uh, nuclear summit thriller. Uh, no relation to Steel Rain 1, uh, which is actually a, net, a film that Netflix bought and is, is on Netflix right now from a couple of years ago. It has the same director and the same two main stars, uh, John Woo Song and uh, Quack Do Won, but they're playing completely new characters. The whole, the whole setup is completely new. Essentially, just to boil it down, because it is rather convoluted in its... Convolutedness, I find. Narrative. Yeah. So to boil it down... There is a nuclear disarmament summit between North Korea and the US. And it's all broken down and you think and you see you suspect that Japan and China are somewhere in the background kind of pulling the strings yeah. and trying to manipulate the outcome while the South Koreans sit idly by. And there there are some in the high command of the South Koreans who are somewhat frustrated by the lack of power and uh and uh yeah, yeah, the, the lack of power within these talks that the South Koreans actually have. Uh, this comes to a head when a rogue North Korean general kidnaps all three world leaders. The, the South Korean pre- prime minister, president, the North Korean chairman and the US president and holds them hostage on a nuclear submarine until his demands are met. Right. Otherwise, there's going to be complete Armageddon. Okay. Now... As I mentioned, there's uh, the first act is all set up, all, you know, introducing all the various machinations and implications of all of this happening. And for the first 45 minutes, you're like, oh, boy, this is going to be a real slog. Then what you get is this really smart, really funny, really kind of well-observed chamber piece in the second, in sort of right in the middle of the film, where you have um, Jung Woo Sung as the uh, South Korean president, and you have this young, sort of cocky, arrogant uh, North Korean chairman, 
Uh, and then you have Angus McFadden as the US president, who is sort of legally different, uh, but otherwise unmistakably doing a caricature of Donald Trump. Okay. Uh, he, he looks different. His name is different. But he is loud, crass, uh, fl flatulent. Uh, he is only interested in making a buck for himself. He doesn't understand nor care about any kind of international diplomacy. Yeah. Uh, and the three of them locked in a room for like a good 45 minutes plays out actually quite brilliantly, not least when it is revealed that the young North Korean chairman is actually far better at English than the South Korean president. And so has to act as a kind of go-between between all of them and, and as a sort of interpreter for all them, much to his chagrin. Uh, in the third act, it, rem it remembers that it's a submarine movie and you have a fairly generic sort of standoff with other submarines in the ocean and all the rest of it. But that middle part actually makes it fairly watchable. Okay. The rest of it's a kind of bobbins. Right, fair enough. Now, there's one last thing I did. One last thing I did want to get to. Yeah which was something that I didn't even know existed until like a week ago and I stumbled across it on Apple TV, which is Long Way Up. Yeah. Now, back about sort of 15, 20 years ago, there was a TV show, sort of adventure travel show called The Long Way Round, where Ewan McGregor and his, right. his uh, childhood buddy, Charlie Borman, who's son of the film director, John Borman, uh, went round the world on motorbikes. They went from London and headed east and went right across Europe and across Russia and Mongolia and whatever, and then uh, all the way across the US and ended up in New York City. Okay. It did very, very well, and then they did something called The Long Way Down, where they literally drove south from London all the way down to the Cape of Good Hope, I think, at the southern tip of South Africa. Uh, that was in about 2007, 2008, and then, you know, they they drifted apart over the last 10 years, but then Charlie Borman had a couple of very serious motorbike crashes and it brought the two back together. Uh, also, Ewan McGregor got divorced uh, and essentially they got back together. They reassessed their friendship and decided, let's do one more go around, as it were. And so they devised this new idea to do something called The Long Way Up, where they were going to fly into Tierra del Fuego and drive all the way up to Los Angeles essentially up the, uh, what's it called, the Pan-American Highway or whatever. Hmm. Uh, but they're going to obviously go uh, through as many of the different interesting cultural and uh, geographical landmarks all the way. And they're gonna, the big difference this time is they're going to do it on electric bikes. So they got Harley, they've got Harley-Davidson to devise a couple of prototypes for them. Their crew cars that are going to be following them are also going to be electric. And so it's going to be as eco-friendly and angle. with a smaller carbon footprint as possible yep. however that obviously does throw up the um interesting question of how are they going to keep charging these bikes when they're ah. riding on the through the andes and across the um atacama desert and all the rest of it so these are just some of the initial challenges that are posed to them and actually the first couple of episodes of the show which is still releasing one episode a week on apple tv so it hasn't it's not all there yet. Right. Um, the first two episodes are just about them getting all their ducks in a row, really, and sorting out how they're going to do this brainstorming, developing the bikes, all the rest of it, to see if it's actually possible for them to do. Now, I thought I, I was, like I said, I had no idea that this was even a thing, that it even existed, and then it just popped up last week, and I was immediately just drawn straight back into it. I love the dynamic. I love the relationship between the two of them. Uh, you know, they have been mates for a long, long time, and although Charlie Borman is kind of tenuously attached to show business, he do, he's not actively in it, 
And so there is that sort of difference between the two, because obviously Ewan McGregor is a huge star, and thanks mainly to things like Star Wars, in the remote, most remote parts of the world, he is still instantly recognised. Yeah, yeah. And that, and the show has never shied away from sort of recognising that, you know, recognising that aspect of it. And so McGregor is always being sort of pulled aside to do something or to just sort of meet and greet people. And while Borman is just like left standing there. <laughs> and so it, it really does sort of examine that kind of dynamic of their friendship and the, the stress that that involves. I remember in the second one, there was always this cloud hanging over them about the fact that McGregor just wanted to go home and his wife kept calling him and all that kind of stuff. And you could see on Borman's face, he was always really kind of upset about that, that this was supposed to be their big escape together to sort of, as, as just mates. You know, and his family was much more understanding about how he needed alone time, whereas McGregor's family was always sort of bugging him to sort of stay in touch and to get back quickly and all this kind of stuff. And it and it drove these sort of wedges between mm. them in a really interesting way that they the show wasn't afraid of exposing and examining. Um, so it's again, it's really interesting to see how those dynamics continue to play. Like I said, Borman's just had a couple of very serious accidents ahead of them doing this. Uh, and so that sort of helped shifted their perspective. So far, they seem to be getting on just fine together. Brilliant. But one suspects, one suspects that as the show goes on, those tensions might be uh, coming to the surface once again. So I'm, I'm hooked. I'm right back in it again, Good. and I love it. Brilliant. Remind us that's what today's, long, that's what today's long... serving was. Okay, so that's called Long Way Up, and that is on Apple TV. Yep. Uh, Enola Holmes is movie of the week, without a doubt. Okay. It's really good fun. Uh, fun for all the family that's on Netflix uh, and then out in cinemas you've got Steel Rain 2 and Greenland uh, there are elements of each to enjoy but you know it's, yeah. a, it's a bit of a rough week in the cinemas <laughs> no worries well done James love your work we'll do it all again next week at the same time